welcome back to another episode of Cinematters, the podcast by First Post, where we explore cinema from the northeast of India. And we tell you why you should be watching and talking about these films if you're not doing so already. Now, in today's episode, we are going to talk about yet another Asimese film. And yes, I know this is our third episode and the third Asimese film. And um, we will bring more films from other parts of the Northeast within our ambit as and when we come across them, we promise. But today's film, which is titled Bokul, has a rather interesting premise. The film has been directed by Rima Bora and it was released in the year 2015. Uh, It is a film of namesakes. That is, there are three different people in this film with the same name, that is Bokul. And they are living in the same place. They have similar lives, but they are very different as well. It is told through the point of view of a character named Roktin, who is roughly 30 years of age and who returns to his hometown in Assam after several years of working and living in Bombay. He comes back on the occasion of his sister's wedding. And uh, when he's back home, he realizes that he feels like a complete outsider to most of the conversations that are happening around him. He meets his old friends. He stumbles upon his old love interest. And he comes across a lot of characters from his past life. The first person he meets in this film is a rickshaw puller who is almost the same age as he is. And this is actually the first Bokul that we meet in the film. We later find out that this Bokul actually went to the same school as Roktim did. And he, in fact, was a topper in his year, in uh, in his school. Through Roktim, we later go on to meet the other two Bokuls in the film as well. One who is a woman. She's a weaver and also has her own tea shop and is a single mother to a very young daughter. The third is an aging, lonely fisherman who is waiting for some news on his son who has gone missing for several years. Rapinda, I'm
Now, this story has quite a few thematic similarities with the other two films that we had taken up in the podcast. Both of them, like I mentioned, were from Assam and they were Joloi and Majati Keteki. And we will talk about the similarities and the dissimilarities that Bokul has with these two films a little later in today's episode. Bokul is currently streaming on Mubi. So if you have a subscription, I would totally recommend you go and watch it. It actually was also on Movie Saints, but for some reason it's not available on that platform right now. I really hope it comes back soon so that more people get to watch it. The film stars Urmila Mohanto as the female Bokul, Koshik Sharma as the Bokul who drives a rickshaw, and Nirab Dash who is the fisherman Bokul. And besides them, it also stars Udayan Duara as Roktim, Bhashruti Patwari, Dijen Mohanto, Onkita Bora, and Onupam Bora in other roles. Today, we are joined by Shebonti Chatterjee to talk about Bokul. And um, Shebonti, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Shebunti is a sound anthropologist and professor of sociology. And like I'd mentioned in our previous episode, when she has some time off work, she likes to explore storytelling. How absolutely lovely is that? Um, so before we get into the details, as always, I'd like to get a few details out of the way about the film. It had won the Prague Senior Awards, which is an award presented annually by the Prague News and Ringuni, which are television channels from the state of Assam. It had also won the Best Film Award at the Kashmir World Film Festival in 2017, besides a few other national and regional recognitions. It was also screened at the Mumbai Film Festival in 2015. Now, Bokul has been highly praised by different quarters. And uh, if you go through its reviews online, you are going to see just how much it has been applauded for being so nuanced in its approach of storytelling. And, you know, among other things, this was definitely one of the topmost reasons why we decided on talking about this film on the podcast. And I believe what it does very differently from the films we have taken up on the podcast before is that it talks about the present day more than Joloi or Majati Ketiki did. It focuses solely on the today, and that is rather important for an audience who may not have a lot of context or understanding of Assam's past. It provides a very strong entry point into Assamese culture, I believe, especially for a young audience who can perhaps relate more to the characters and their conditions in this film than the ones that we saw in Joloi or Majati Ketiki, where, you know, the time periods focus more on the past or on a different decade than the one we are in right now. They go further back in time. So, Shebonti, I would like you to come in over here and tell me what were your opening thoughts on Bokul? So, um, Ashia, it's good to be back again. It is. And, uh, yeah. So, Bokul, like you rightly said, uh, one important thing about the movie is that it tries to bring us to what is the present scenario in Assam, okay? And I like the way which you already mentioned that uh, it plays with the word uh, Bokul in, in a way that we have three characters by yeah. the same name. And, um, you know, and also Bokul is name is the name of a flower. And um, so one... Uh, a flower that uh, blooms during spring. Mostly, yes. You know. 
so so basically and it has a it has a fragrance that that can be retained long after it has fallen which which i think is a very telling aspect of the movie also because right uh, all these characters i feel uh, apart from their uh, you know introduction to us they they have somebody to long for somebody to protect yeah in the sense the female yeah so like uh, you know in in the sense the female bokul she has a daughter janmoni i believe who right. she wants to you know care for but we don't really know who the father of janmoni is definitely yeah. she has not been accepted in the society uh, she was uh, well taken care of till her grandmother is you know was alive yeah. who she considers her own uh, sort of temple in in a sort of a way because she doesn't know who else to believe in this cruel world um for uh, the male bokul bokul dash who is the fisherman you know he is looking for a son who is probably who went to take part in certain revolution which is to change yeah. the system but we don't know what happened and he has kunmoni a cat who yes. he is taking care of and it's very sweet it's a black cat who he feeds uh, to whom he feeds fish and everything because well he's also a, a fisherman and finally i think uh, you know the, the how this movie starts with the rickshaw puller who you rightly introduced in the beginning as well who also happens to be rock team's uh, music teacher's son yes. You know? yes yeah so another uh, back story related to bokul uh, bokul ali i think is um, also about he is uh, from bangladesh yeah. he is muslim and uh, that is why he faces a different kind of you know uh, ostracization or that kind of a thing from the society yeah i guess right uh, yeah and you sort of summarize the arcs of these three bokuls quite uh, beautifully because we get to see again how identity assumes center stage like the other films that we've discussed understandably so because identity does assume center stage in reality in assam as well and you know this film is no exception in that regard um and yes of course uh, the name bokul like you rightly mentioned has been borrowed from the name of a plant and its flower which has a very heady intoxicating fragrance which sort of is a haunting in nature it leaves its traces long after you know it has bloomed so um you know for uh, listeners who are tuning in from um other parts of the country that is outside of assam um you must have also heard of this tree because it's found in abundance across uh, several parts of india especially in the east and the south and i believe it's called uh, the spanish cherry in english if i'm not wrong or bullet wood i think these are some of the names that it's known by in english and um what even reema bora said to us in the interview that we did with her she mentioned how the name bokul is very significant to her not just personally because she has memories associated with it from her childhood from the times she visited her grandparents house but also because of how the tree the flower is sort of located culturally in assam you know where it is like i mentioned abundantly found and 
the fact that it's a very resilient plant it does not require a lot of care it can just sprout and thrive and survive on its own and that i believe is a very perfect metaphor for the bokuls that we see in the film where they reside on society's margins they do not attract a lot of attention but you can't really ignore them because at the end of the day even though they are surviving on the peripheries of their society the story is really about them and um roktim the character roktim finds himself in the center of what's happening in the lives of these bokuls and he leads us to all of them um eventually and i believe like i said it's a beautiful allegory for the you know common folk of assam who are invisible or rather have been invisibilized by their society uh much like the fragrance of the flower of from this plant which might you know you might not be specifically noticing this plant a lot because it does not grab your attention much but then the fragrance is really all around you know you can you can't really ignore it so um i i was actually uh also thinking about this whole bit about how films from assam that have emerged that have been made in the past couple of years in the past decade especially have mostly been very autobiographical in nature we've seen this as a running theme as well you know when we spoke to um, rajni vasumatari for joloi she said that you know joloi was largely drawn from her personal experiences and now you also see bokul where rima bora also says something very similar she says that you know it is a very autobiographical film and um she has met all of these people whom we see in the film she is a graduate from pune's uh, ftii and she left assam and lived and worked outside assam for several years before she returned to her hometown and like you mentioned the character of joy ali who happens to be bokul ali's father who was a music teacher we see that this character is lost to communal violence he loses his life to communal violence in the film and um you know these are characters like i mentioned that reema knew in her real life she talks to us extensively about this the characters in in the film are known to me i meet them often in the local market in the street they can come home the lady bokul she is a weaver and she made my uh, wedding gamusa you know we have a tradition we have to give a wedding gamusa to the groom so she has made the gamusa for my husband for my wedding i had no idea about her life her struggle until one day during that period when i stayed home for one year my mom mom actually told me about her and i was so inspired to meet her to see her struggle to see her fight you know fighting spirit actually and the character joyda the music teacher was my music teacher i don't remember his face at all i don't remember his look i just remember his fingers on the harmonium his bicycle and his voice He used to teach me Bhupen Hazarika songs, but I don't remember his face. How can I not talk about them, but something else? How can I not make a film on them? 
the characters close to me. We do not have to look for stories outside, you know. We all are part of many stories, somehow or the other. We all are. And uh, it's very telling of the kind of juncture that Assamese cinema is at right now, I believe, you know. I, I feel like it is a very sort of poignant reflection of that. It functions, I feel this industry functions largely on, on like an indie setup kind of a thing and where big budget films are still unheard of. Like there's the corporatization of Assamese cinema is yet to happen in a major way. And that is actually quite visible in the kind of films that are emerging from it. So right uh, from the subjects that are being explored, which are largely personal to the aesthetics that are used in the film and how and, you know, where these films are traveling, which is mostly through the festival circuits and very limited theatrical release. And uh, then there is eventually an OTT release. You can tell that Assamese cinema right now is in a very interesting, if not a very profitable and lucrative sort of phase. And there is, of course, this heavy use of ambient sounds uh, in the films with little to no background music. Uh, even though Majati Kitiki, from what I remember, did use some uh, background music. And I do feel that Majati Kitiki was made on a slightly higher budget than Jolo or Bokul were made on because... Jolly and Bokulo made on completely shoestring budgets. They were mostly crowdfunded. And um, the only, uh, and, and these differences are actually quite visible. Um, and the only time Jolly and Bokulo, I realized, used songs, which are folk songs actually, uh, were when those songs were actually adding to the story. They were adding to the narrative. They were in a way, replacing dialogues of characters. So they had a very specific function to play. They weren't really fillers. They weren't there for aesthetic or, um, you know, um, so they weren't accessorizing the film. They weren't supplementary in nature. They were actually there to uh, perform a particular function. So they were very utilitarian in that way. And um, Shivanti, you know, I know you work with sound and you are a sound anthropologist. So what were some of the observations that you made in this regard when it comes to how sound is used um, in these films? Um, I would uh, stick to this film especially. That is uh, how the sound, yeah. um, you know, was planned. And like you said, the way the songs were used, be it the wedding song or be it the song on the stage, that yeah. Dollars, um, you know, students are performing where, you know, actually it is uh, it is interesting because there is a reference to Bokul there also because apparently Roktin had something to tell to her in his yes. book, but he used to wait around <laughs> the Bokul, the Bokul tree. Uh, flower yeah. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Bokul tree. But yeah, there some things were left out there. I hope I'm not revealing too much for the audience in terms of story, but still, you know, you will have yeah. a lot to watch. Uh, but the thing is about sound, like you said, um, you know, Ashia. So uh, the thing is, they use everyday rituals, everyday sound, which may be the sound of the river when they are going fishing, the boats going and all the splashing of water. And also, you know, even the nighttime, I mean, the sound of, that's yes, crickets. Insect. Yeah, crickets. You know? Yeah. 
So yeah, you you hear them, and also you find um, other times also the transport, which is indicative of the busy you know urban setup and everything. Yeah. It's beautifully weaved in, and every time the other kind of uh, folk music they refer to or allude to is about the bihu. you know and and they make references about bihu also which is rongali bihu i would believe yeah. because they are talking about springtime and uh, this is also in terms of uh, you know there is a scene where they are, uh, where somebody's home garden is being discussed and uh, you know then also you understand why certain things have to be planned because of the festival and you also find yeah. a scene where uh, some young people with guitar and keyboard join in the old folks and add to the you know new sounds together yes. and and that sort of like how and he says roktim says that uh, strike a bihu chord you know which is very yes. really interesting because how do you find a folk chord on a western instrument like that but it's yeah. nice um, in general i would say if if i like actually go back to this ambient sound that you're talking about uh, i refer to the work of uh, you know one of the most known sound anthropologists steven feld whose work is on acoustomology and and how especially he sees you know uh, how cultural ways of listening and performing it becomes a part of uh, a certain listening and also making practice you know and it right. is about listening to the forests he talks about in 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 his work on rainforests and uh, other things but he borrows a lot from philosophy anthropology and all of that to come up with this idea of uh, you know sound system uh, but you know what again is interesting is that how he himself had come up with this term uh, acoustomology was right. uh, um at a birthday party not really a birthday party but at a conference of another uh, anthropologist who was known for new words and new concepts and he just introduced this idea not knowing if it will hit a chord somewhere and it did wow. and then he wrote a lot of you know uh, this was for uh, murray shafer's uh, birthday but later his uh, acoustomology took turns and it became wow. a way to think about sound studies so that's that becomes in- interesting because it actually talks about culturally embedded sounds mm. and how it makes us understand also certain ways and responding to the culture yeah wow I that's think. something new we learned today and if i may add i just can't help but add this bit did you use that struck a chord intentionally were you punning there because i thought that really landed well yeah <laughs> okay. okay lovely i we really learned something new today and that's really interesting and lends a sort of a very um um informed and deep perspective on what we are dealing with over here in terms of how sounds can you or can be used to inform and um represent cultures um now moving on from this more, uh, more technical aspect of sound i wanted to talk about how this film in in terms of how it deals with the subjects that it does is also transgenerational in nature uh, because i feel its characters that is the three protagonists that share a common name represent people from across several age groups and 
I think in that sense, it lends a, it lends a very solid overview of what has been hurting Assam through years, decades, and generations. And I believe this also very, very um, effectively captures the fact that trauma is inherited at the end of the day. And, you know, what traumas you inherit depends on what society has used or is using against you to disenfranchise you and continuously marginalize you systemically. Like, you know, we see for Riksha Pular Bokul, uh, who is the only Muslim protagonist over here, or perhaps the only Muslim character, major character that we see in the film, uh, memories of losing his father to communal hatred sort of underlines his existence and the course of not just his life, but also his family's life. And um, of course, we see how history unfortunately repeats itself through his brutal death over almost the exact same reasons. And one finds this theme play out in several films from this region that have been made in the past decade. Like I was saying, there is this whole streak of shared themes and subjects that uh, filmmakers from Assam have constantly been exploring through their works and their films. And I feel this points to how filmmakers, the ones we see today in uh, from Assam, like Monju Bora, Shantana Bordoloi, Rima Bora, Sanjeev Hazarika, you know, how they have carried on this artistic legacy of, say, filmmakers from the yesteryears, like Padum Borua and, uh, you know, Bhobindranath Saikya, who were there in the 70s and 80s. And they led this Assamese sort of new wave movement of realist cinema, uh, a lot like the Ritik Ghatok, Sanbrinal Shins, uh, you know, in Bengal were doing. And they spoke, and these films spoke of the society of their times and what really played them, what was really being talked about on the, on the political forums. And um, then there was, of course, the great Janu Borua who sort of put Assamese film on the global map with Halo Diya Churai, Baudhan Khai, which was made in 1987. And I mean, um, in between, during the early 2000s, Assam also did actually succumb to a very disturbingly flashy aesthetic of cinema, which I believe totally worked against it. And, you know, the industry saw a lot of drying funds, etc. And, you know, limited theatrical releases and the number of films that were being produced had also reduced drastically during this time. But with this new crop of storytellers emerging, I feel like there has been a resurrection of this old sensibility of filmmaking, where this realist legacy has sort of been carried forward, where the story once again has attained center stage. And I feel like I was mentioning that Assam right now is uh, trying to strike this very interesting and tricky balance between, you know, it's it sort of come midway between being partly corporatized and also partly functioning on an indie setup where, you know, we do see once in a while films that do have significantly bigger budgets and bigger names um, being made. Uh, and but but those are 
really few and far between. Mostly there are films that are being made on really paltry budgets, but where the filmmakers have almost complete autonomy and creative freedom. And they are not being told by sort of big production houses as to what they can do, what they can't do, and what the audience is going to buy, what the audience is going to like or not like. When we speak to Rima Bora, she tells us her thoughts and her experiences of having shot in this manner on a shoestring budget and what her takeaways from this experience was. Let's listen to what she had to say. I must tell you one thing that I wanted to make this film to heal myself because I was going through that tough phase philosophically, ideologically, emotionally. So I wanted to heal myself. I did not make this film to, you know, gain anything. I did not make this film for anyone, for anything. I wasn't thinking of any return or any kind of calculation while making it, you know. I just wanted to express. There are three different kind of treatment. Uh, if you closely observe, you'll find it. Uh, when Raktim and Riksapula Bukul comes, you can see the mostly it is handheld. We are following Raktim and Riksapula handheld. Lady Bukul, serene, composed, well composed, well balanced camera is on tripod and old bokul scenes are mostly mid-long shot or long shots that was very intentionally designed me sandeep the cinematographer who is a partner and sort of they our creative producer wished to see it and fight together on the treatment you know but because of these conversations and fightings this whole canvas got bigger uh, we used mostly 50mm lenses, sync sound, available light, only a few LEDs, you know, whenever needed, whenever there was light. No, actually we uh, called a uh, lighting unit from Guwahati, but uh, we're not happy with the results, you know, we're not, you know, it was very typical setup. Baby lagao, multi lagao, but it was not required for this film. So we decided to go with, you know, whatever available. If it is dark, let it be dark. And we did not have money, that is one thing. But it was not as a result of as if we are compromising. No. We, you know, incorporated those uh, restrictions as a weapon. We designed the whole, you know, uh, whole mise-en-scene accordingly. Like available light, go for it. Basic lighting required, use LED. Sandeep and Siddharth, the assistant cameraman, they, uh, panel, they have made one lighting panel and we arranged everything on Jugar basically. And it helped the film the way I want it to be. You know, the look and everything as if that is the, the kind of treatment I wanted. So I feel... This is resulting in very, very interesting content and films coming out of Assam. I feel that's where Assam is right now. And it'll be interesting to watch where it goes from here. And now, this also brings me to the character of Roktim. Um, you know, because we talk about how films that we watch these days from Assam 
tend to have this autobiographical element. And we did hear Rima Bora mention that Roktim has a lot to do with how she, uh, you know, has perceived Assamese society once she left. So if, uh, you know, you could tell us what your observations were on this regard, Shibunti. Yeah, so um, like you're saying, like the how the directors choose to tell their narrative or how they wish to introduce the storylines has a lot to do with that particular context uh, that they have experienced or uh, their ancestors have experienced. And, and in a way, that's uh, one of the you know, central motives of uh, explaining or rather um, you know, uh, informing about uh, what is the culture all about, which is to do with like the trauma you're seeing. Yeah. You have a lot of different uh, communities and who, who are coming from different identities who are living together. And, and there are absolutely, uh, you know, contesting uh, notions amongst each other, about each other, even within the society. Yes. So it becomes very difficult, first of all, to come up with this, with this idea of a homogeneous sense of even uh, the entire landscape of Assam per se. Okay. And then, even then, when you are trying to bring to the fore something from, uh, from the landscape, you will... Uh, and, and rightly, as uh, Rima Bora mentions, that she has her characters from her own experiences, right? So yeah. in the sense that you would choose certain uh, characters to speak in certain ways. Roktim is one such onlooker, in a way, you know, and who who sort of um, uh, has been in, uh, been outside for a while and is coming back and is trying to make sense of what has changed and how much has changed. Uh, is he very comfortable with the changes? Not really, but he doesn't really yeah. know how to respond to it either. He is just, uh, he, he just, you know, he, he's inquisitive. He's curious about what happened yeah. to the people who were there in his life and why their trajectories have been different from his. What sort of, he doesn't talk about it explicitly. He is having these subtle, you know, conversations. We can, we can sort of see uh, in, the, in, a, in the manner of his responses to his uh, old friends. Yeah. And also like how he even tries to, uh, you know, how he even tries to uh, go every day with this fisherman to, to, to rediscover yes. this whole rustic feeling of the landscape he was part of and um, he also accidentally in the beginning talks about the communal uh, uh, hatred right uh, without being intentional about it that whose land is it and yeah. why are they taking away our, our land and so these kind of uh, you know fragmented uh, histories and 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 also uh, politics uh, inform us in a way and again the same question as to when do we choose to uh, deal with it uh, becomes prominent when probably the time comes and when we we experience uh, uh, or we see someone close to us undergoing it and it happened to him when he sort of uh, witnesses uh, that 
someone known to him bokul uh, ali ali yeah. of, you know experiencing a tragic ending you know in the film so uh, it's it's a lot of uh, these things and even the female character um, this is not to do with rokti ma'am just uh, yeah, yeah of course like, yeah digressing a bit but also i i i feel that how she sort of you know although she is on the fringes of the society because she has been asked to not comment on the society but she doesn't stop herself yeah. there have been instances where she is telling uh, her own brother to be a little more reflective about his own actions or yep. to uh, to and uh, a disgusting lech who is trying to like take uh, advantage of her situation yeah. she just says that you know i i am hard working and i'm earning my money why don't you try and find out what your wife is up to yeah or or the situation where you know she doesn't mind telling the police what she, whatever little she could gather from a stroll in the you know by the, the banks yeah. yeah yeah so yeah i think i don't know exactly but yeah it is important because in a way i think uh, all these films tell us that we need to talk about our past our present um that also is indicative of what is unfolding around us and how we are dealing with the depth and the complexities that uh, that sort of uh need to be uh interrogated further i guess so yeah absolutely and yeah uh this observation that you made about how you know rokteem's character might not always be able to catch up or relate with all the conversations he's having but that i believe does not really signify that he is indifferent in any way i don't think so these characters may not really actively be participating in the dialogues that we see in the film but i feel the way they frame the whole narrative is also really important and once our listeners watch the film i think they'll be able to understand exactly what we're talking about so you know i guess we should not give away any more than we already might have yeah. there is also this whole you know how the film sort of delves deeper into the subject of the feudal nature of the land that these characters occupy and through time you know even though this film was made only a couple of years ago and it is based in present day assam a lot of times when you watch it at least that's how i felt you know a lot of times when i was watching the film it almost felt like i have traveled so many years back in time because the very primitive ways in which some of the characters are seen behaving and you know funnily all these characters actually are the ones who are in the mainstream of assam they are the ones who very clearly are usurping their positions of power and are pushing the marginalized further into the fringes so this whole feudal structure and how that is sort of perpetuated 
through the actions of the ones who are in positions of privilege and power is also something that really uh, is captured very powerfully by Rima Bora, not only through what her characters are saying, but also through what her characters are not saying. There is a lot of non-verbal communication happening between the various characters in this film, which is very, very interesting and important to watch, I believe. And um, I think um, that is one aspect in this film that really stood out for me more than um, a, you know what everything else did. This is one aspect which I really, really was very impressed with. And I think this film does it so much better than some of the other films that I have watched um, from Sam and from the Northeast. Um, do you have anything to add to this in this regard? Well, like you said also, like how the feudal structures have been continuing, you know, and it hasn't really changed much. And also how landed properties are ancestral in a way. And, and uh, again, yeah. how do you hold on to the lands? And then in redistribution of these lands, um, how much, uh, you know, in, in this whole idea of agrarian, uh, uh, you know, uh, setups like who is a tenant who is a landlord who is uh, you know retaining those little pockets and yeah and the big house whatever it is and how do you make sense of it is um, is like you said it is uh, structured by your uh, socioeconomic uh, position and there uh, the power structure plays an important role but also you know if you do not have land, yeah. uh, what about those, like the landless uh, uh, mm. people? Because uh, how do you hold on to, you know, not everybody. Also, this is talking about uh, ability to set up properties. Who has yeah. the right to make a home there? Who has who access? It, yeah. Who has access? Whose home is it? Yeah. And, and who who is an Assamese in that sense of the term? Yes. That, that becomes a very large question, which is addressed in a very nuanced manner, yeah. as you rightly pointed out. And as we see, yeah. 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 I think that more or less covers the overarching and the major themes that this film sort of deals with. Of course, there is so much more to unpack in this film. And... Um, you know, I really hope our listeners get to watch this film and tell us what they have observed. And this now also brings me to the point of how all the three films that we have taken up on the podcast so far have not only been from Sam, but they've also been directed by women. And we did for a moment touch upon the subject of emerging female filmmakers from Sam in our first episode with Kostuk Dika. Um, and we do hope to talk about this at length in a later episode. But uh, what I find fascinating is to watch um, the parallels um, of this emergence of strong female, especially mother figures in the political turf of the Northeast, including Assam, alongside how female storytellers are coming to the fore in Assam in such a big way. Um, before we wrap up, Shibunti, um, would you like to tell our listeners, you know, if you have come across films that are similar in themes um, to Bokul that they might be able to watch? You were talking about a Japanese film, I believe. Yeah, 
well it's not exactly again my references are not exactly similar i think right but uh, uh the thing is there's this film by hirokazu kurita called our little sister right. and uh, you know he's mostly known for his movie the shoplifters yeah. but uh, this this one is about uh, you know and it is based on a manga called umimachi by akimi yoshida and okay it it talks about this 14 year old uh, girl asana suzu who uh, who is rescued in a in a way by three of her other sisters uh, and this sister is their half sister from a father who had abandoned these three sisters right and they meet at a funeral of the father and somehow they take to each other and they also realize that this girl although she has her own siblings and her yeah. mother nobody is really attentive to suzu and uh, she is the one who actually looked after their father uh, during the last uh, days and they you know they they sort of form a bond in a manner and then you see how they discover each other their life stories and their distresses and stolen childhood which becomes the uh common narrative which i find very interesting because here also all these characters of pokul have this sense of stolen childhood we obviously see that in case of mukulali yeah and uh, in a way you also see it in the female protagonist gokul because she was an adolescent mother yeah you know and 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 in a way she lost out a lot of her innocence in that process yeah and Although Bokul does, uh, we do not really know when he lost his uh, son. Yeah. But definitely, a large part of his uh, youth, I would say, or towards the end of his youth, he he did not really live a very fulfilling life because yes. there was a sense of loss. So I guess this trope of cho- uh, stolen childhood is something I can connect it to. That's a beautiful film in its own way, which talks about different family narrative. Um. other things not necessarily uh, but yeah i think for now i'll just talk about one thing right how wonderful it does sound like a wonderful film and i would love to watch it sometime very soon and with that we finally come to the end of this rather interesting episode i have to say uh, and a rather interesting film there were so many layers to peel and explore in bokul and um, i hope uh we get to explore films just like this in the upcoming episodes just as interesting and just as nuanced so do not forget to tune into our upcoming episodes dear listeners where we will talk about more such very fascinating films from the northeast of india and we will tell you why you should be watching and talking about them if you're not doing so already subscribe to cinematters on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts so until next time this is your host arshya dhar signing off with shebunti chatterjee from cinematters by first post thank you stay safe